You're now listening to the first Sanity at the Movies of 2022. And what could we do but talk about 2021's greatest film? I don't even know if I'm being sarcastic, folks. I've never felt like less of a man of the people than I do today. Because I didn't like Dune. I didn't like Spider-Man. But it wouldn't be unfair to say I love The Matrix Resurrections. The film we are talking about today. And to answer businessman smith's question that he asks in the movie it's fantastic to be going back to the matrix in my opinion so cards on the table wow i understand what's stupid about this movie i understand what's problematic what's evil about this movie but i kind of loved it kind of loved it just gonna start there get that band-aid ripped off real fast and speaking of ripping band-aids off let's rip a band-aid off of Benjamin Seltzer. <laughs> He's covered in band-aids. Ouch. He fell down a ravine and... Band-aids were all we had. Band-aids. Yeah, it was a ravine full of band-aids, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Several of them stuck to him. And I wouldn't actually rip off any of those band-aids. I do want to introduce him, though. He's Benjamin Seltzer. He's the preacher who's a teacher of what? cinema. I always want to say righteousness. Teacher of righteousness, I guess, is just a phrase that's always in my head. Ben, are there any Band-Aids you want to rip off before we get going? <laughs> I ripped my Band-Aid off. <laughs> Metaphorical Band-Aids. Uh, uh, I yeah, mean. I want to rip off the Band-Aid of, of introducing Jacob Mensel, the pastor who's a master of cinema. How you doing, Jake? Okay, how are you? Good. 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 Guys, we're talking about a movie that people are still so excited to talk about, to hear about. <laughs> Nobody fire. was ever excited to talk about this movie. <laughs> the, wor the world won't shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> the fire can't die if it never flares up. Gets lit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just some logs sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, we did a giant like three-hour review of The Matrix, so people can go there to hear lots of context on the creation of The Matrix and the culture that brought about the original Matrix and bent and little, all that jazz. All that jazz. Uh, the same culture that gave us Chicago, I think, in 2003, I think came out the same year as The Matrix Reloaded. So, nice reference, Jake. Thanks. Maybe no we Catherine Zeta-Jones or uh, Richard Gere in The Matrix, though. Who would I put in the Matrix, and what? How would I cast them? I would cast Catherine Zeta-Jones as the Merovingian. That's was that the I question you were asking? I wasn't even asking a question. I was just pointing out that they're not in the Matrix. But I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like where you took that. <laughs> and Richard Gere would be. I don't know. Morpheus. 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 <laughs> oh man, that'd be a lame. <laughs> switch. Yeah, switch. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, here's a question. Have, have I ever liked Richard Gere in anything? Do I like I, Richard I, Gere? I've, I've wondered that from time to time. I think the, <laughs> <laughs> not about I, you. Just, I too have wondered if you liked Richard Gere. <laughs> Does Nathan like anything? I think the answer is I'm no I'm concerned for me. about Nathan's appreciation or lack thereof of Richard Gere. You know, I mean, he was pretty great in First Night. First Night, Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman, walking down the street. You know, I mean, I've seen things with Richard Gere. I, I guess I like Richard Gere, officer. He was an officer and a gentleman, as I recall, in that film. He's in movies, and he's supposed to look pretty. Yeah. And that's really about all you can say for him, right? I, I, think, mean, that's, yeah. I think that's all you could say. It really doesn't bring, doesn't bring a whole lot to Lancelot in First Night, really. No. I mean, obviously, it was the perfect casting. We all thought that, <laughs> <laughs> like, when you think Richard Gere, you think Knight of... La Lancelot. Mm. You think Lancelot. Yeah, and you definitely, I mean, I don't know, Sean Connery actually ate up quite a bit of scenery in that. 
as King Arthur. I never saw that movie. Oh man, it's it's pretty crummy. It's such a bad movie. It's always looked crummy. Yeah, but at least we get a waterfall scene with Richard Gere or whatever, something like that. Yeah, we do. I'm confusing it with Braveheart, but we definitely get like a. No, I feel like we get the reverse because I feel like I've seen a thousand movies where a guy comes across a pool or a waterfall and then some nubile maiden is bathing. But I think we get the reverse in this. The chick, Guinevere, I guess, comes across. Guinevere sees Richard Gere. Yeah. Yeah. Taking a shower in a waterfall or coming out of a pool or something like that. And yeah, something dumb. Good stuff. And exactly what people tuned in to hear from our Matrix (laughs) Resurrections review uh, yeah guys i'm holding our feet to the fire so we, we this is obviously the episode people have been waiting for obviously yeah and this yeah. is the episode this is what so this will be our most listened to episode of 2022 i guarantee it well it's the first episode out of the <laughs> for at least a week for at least a <laughs> for week. at least a week <laughs> Good uh, i actually wasn't being sarcastic at the top I, neither I, was i just now yeah <laughs> well true <laughs> uh <laughs> what's sarcasm <laughs> 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 Daddy, what? <laughs> there was a time many years ago now where I, and folks will get to talking about the matrix resurrections very quickly but there was a time many years you're holding ago. our feet to the fire yeah, no. you're the one who gets to go on your side go ahead please no, no, no. diverge Jake, i let rabbit. you do no. your i let you do your whole richard gear i didn't bring richard gear <laughs> i just i just let loose one phrase and all that jazz and you were like Chicago, 2003, connects to this. What is that? Word association. <laughs> if I were casting Richard Gere and Catherine Zeta-Jones in The Matrix, I would this. And well, let's just say the Gere. Do I like Richard Gere in anything? I think that was your question, not mine. So don't accuse me of taking us down that rabbit trail, making that my rabbit trail. Uh, I said all that jazz, and you were off. I followed the white rabbit, Jake. <laughs> the, the tattoo on your shoulder. Uh, all the way to the club. Listen, what was the tab? Oh, the tab. the other tab that I wanted to open very quickly is uh, early like almost a decade ago now i was at jake's house and his kids were very young and i don't remember i made fun of somebody oh i made fun of one of his kids actually and then they all go upstairs and i hear jake putting his kids to bed and i hear his son ask him daddy how do you make fun of people or or what sarcasm (laughs) i actually triggered some weird cognitive dissonance and one of like he's being mean to me but everybody thinks it's funny and i can't figure it out and i'd like to be able to do that (laughs) i know i I do not possess that power at all (laughs) because i'm just a dumb little kid and (laughs) that's great anyway i felt kind of bad about that at the time but but i don't know i guess kids have to figure out stuff like that ironic adults sensibilities at some point some point listen guys speaking of ironic adult sensibilities the matrix resurrections possesses none (laughs) (laughs) i don't think yeah uh ben why don't you very quickly tell us your matrix baggage for new listeners or people that haven't listened to our three-hour matrix Mm. well i wanted to see the matrix back when it came out i was excited and i think i went to see it with my dad Mm. yeah that would have made sense we're back in 1999. <laughs> We're back in 1999. I really hadn't, I don't know how many R-rated movies I'd really even seen at that point. So, it had the the allure of... It did. There's squibs behind these gunshots. That's right. All that, that all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Went went to see it. Maybe there was a friend there too. My dad was kind of nonplussed by the movie. I was like, that was cool. I was, I was kind of wanting or expecting more giant robot battles for some reason, mm-hmm. just because I knew that there were giant robots in this movie, but there were no giant robot battles. Well, um, you just needed to wait for the Matrix Revolutions, my friend, because that movie is half giant <laughs> mech robot battle. Oh, boy. And boy, do they stink. But no, I saw it. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, 
that was the coolest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it grew yes. on you. Not, not in, revolutions. In deepest movie you'd ever in seen. In the too. deepest, that's right. No, I, I had a teacher, a beloved high school teacher, really. Who needs to read who, Dostoevsky when you can watch The Matrix. Uh, <laughs> who, who wrote an, an essay about how The Matrix was an allegory for, or it, it served, he, he knew the filmmakers weren't Christians, obviously, but it served as an allegory for the Christian life and... And everybody did that. Everyone did that. That was going around. So that was extra justification for thinking The Matrix was the greatest movie ever. Anyway, so I saw The Matrix six, seven times in the theater. And I just I just remember being fixated on the way it was edited, the way the music worked mm-hmm. with it, the way that the movie just expertly played you, bullet brought time. you to each mm-hmm. bullet time, brought you, to, <laughs> brought you to each new point of excitement. And it was just like, this movie is awesome at what it does. Um, it's a great movie to hit at that age because it's you can, perfect. you can, it's just, it's designed and you can it's see it. It's very designed. You can see it, the shot yeah. composition, even the, the action scenes just feel completely storyboarded and not in a way that makes the movie <laughs> sterile, but in a way that. It makes it, it exciting. It's the same reason that kids like Spielberg when they're discovering cinema or Stanley Kubrick or whatever, yeah. or Hitchcock, you like the people who feel like you can feel authorial sort of yeah. voice behind this yeah, because right. it. It's exciting to sort of see what cinema's doing, and The Matrix is like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what else you want. I mean, uh, people did, can go back to our Matrix. Did episode. You loved the. Well, we should talk about the sequels a little bit because Yo, they, sure. they play into the greatness that is Matrix Resurrections. Yeah, I I basically hated Reloaded. I've never gone back and watched the whole thing just because it didn't deliver the same kind of experience. It wasn't. It, it didn't feel as dark or heavy. It felt it was it was much brighter in its colors and just lighter and different and then it it had gross sex stuff in it and i was like eh, i don't want to see this again and but i bet i would like it a lot better now minus the gross sex stuff because it's a pretty fun movie with lots of ideas has cool action scenes they don't <clears throat> they never have the weight of the first one because how can you right it's more like let's just play with everything in this world now mm-hmm. we've established it we're going to play with everything and they play with everything. It's pretty fun. And then, what, Revolutions? Plural? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Revolutions is a crummy movie, but I really like it because it has a bunch of good scenes. Well, I would maintain that the Smith-Neo final duel is yeah. the best. And we've had many since then, but the best two superpowered people, level a city, trying to kill each other. You know, Superman's done it. Zack Snyder's done it a bunch. Marvel's yeah. done it. Yeah, but probably I, true. I still think they did the coolest version of what would it be like if two gods among men were just hammering at each other. Yeah, it's super fun. It's pretty cool. It's super fun. You have some really memorable images like when, when their ship gets above the clouds and they see the sun in the real world. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. And then Trinity dies and it's it seems to matter. And then you have the weirdness of Neo negotiating with the machines. All that stuff is really fun. I liked it. Yeah. Agent Smith says, why do you persist? Look past the flesh and see your enemy. <laughs> it's impossible. Not impossible. Inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. Jake, your Matrix history. My Matrix history? Your complete Matrix history. Or uh, context or whatever. <laughs> Baggage, I think. I like the movies. All of them? Yeah. Obviously, yeah, everybody likes the first one the best because it's got a story that people like. Yep. I liked the first one when it came out. That was pretty cool. 
the others were fine and fun and whatever. Well, I would define those movies as my baggage is I would define them as the kinds of movies that are really fun to think about. And when I say Matrix Resurrections is my favorite movie of the year, what I really mean is it's the most fun movie to think about of the year. Like it actually has ideas that are interesting and bunny trails, no pun intended, that it goes <laughs> down. That It's a world that I really, really, really like. And I like it. I, I think... I hate to say it. I mean, it, it does have some gross sex stuff, but Matrix Reloaded is my favorite of the Matrix movies. I saw it five times in theaters. I love the car chase thing. The freeway chase is just awesome. And I love the architect. <laughs> I love I'm just I, I, something about the idea of this first movie is going to set up this Messiah narrative. And then the second movie is going to completely deconstruct it and turn it into this weird grand sci-fi. There's been five anomalies and you're the sixth since systemic mm -hmm. anomaly. And you have this choice to go back to the source or to like all that stuff. I just really jazz on that stuff. I, d I don't know why. I don't know what it says about me. I don't know what little existential part of my brain it, it tickles, but I just think actually people say like Dark City is the real sci-fi classic from the era. Probably true. But The Matrix actually does have a really cool world. Even if you can see the an it was drawing from this anime over here. And it's kind of obvious in its references. But I just really like that world. And I really like the way that they built it out in the sequels. The the lore, the the different machines and programs and... Was the Merovingian actually the Oracle in an earlier version of the Matrix? And he decided to go into exit, like all that kind of stuff. I just find really fun, more fun than Star Wars, actually, just as far as a world to play. I mean, it's too bad that there's so, such a lack of innocence and such a perversity to the world. Like it's not, it's therefore right. objectively not as fun as something like Star Wars or Dune or whatever. But in terms of just hitting me, and hitting me at the right age and everything. I loved it. And going back to this movie, as stupid as the movie that we're about to talk to is, and as much as it whiffs the chance to do a lot of things that people just want from a Matrix movie, like good action. Mm -hmm. And as dumb as that is, and as selfish as that is on the part of the filmmakers, I still just, I like the story. I like the world. I like the, but we're going to be spoiler heavy throughout this, obviously, folks. I like the resurrections of it all. I like the analyst i like i like all that stuff so so i'm a i'm a, I'm a matrix head cool. what can i what can i say it's 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 just really fun kung fu i don't have to explain <laughs> unfortunately no one can be told what the matrix is so i won't try let me give just a tiny bit of context because to bridge our old matrix episode to our new matrix episode so here's what happened to the wachowski brothers that's right between original matrix 99 and now so obviously they both transitioned i think everybody knows that uh, lena was originally larry and andrew became lily i guess and they have basically just done one stinkeroo after another some beloved by sir but they have never had a hit they've never had an unmitigated triumph the matrix is the only just everybody loved it. The critics loved it. The audience loved it. It made money of their career. They have just, they got a basically a blank check, check after that. And it has bounced and 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 bounced. And that's just the entire story 
So they did the Matrix sequels. Those were met with hostility and puzzlement, made a lot of money. Reloaded especially made a lot of money, but then Revolutions, everybody was just done. Then Speed Racer, which nobody cared Oof. about, and For is, good reason. I think, just a bad movie. And then Cloud Atlas, pretty perverse, interesting movie, All, but I don't know why they gave them $200 million to make it, because it was never going to make any money. It's this incredibly dense, like, puzzle, sci-fi kind of thing that I don't know. I don't know why. I guess they just, the studio just keeps hoping for another Matrix. And then the, there's two kind of important things that happen leading up to this movie. Uh, number one, they do Cloud Atlas. They do Sense8, which is a Netflix show. And their style completely changes. They, they start to adopt a very loose improvis, improvisatory. Yeah. Is that how you say that word? Improvisational. Improvisational style <laughs> where we're going to have, instead of, like the Matrix famously. It's the vibe of the first act. Right? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of those actors are Sense8 actors right yeah yeah everybody kind of like <laughs> so, the whole the crew of uh bugs's ship or whatever they're all yeah it's a whole actors. bunch of yeah, i mean i saw sensate fans or whatever talking about resurrections as a sensate huh. reunion right and so basically it was the ship characters and not the characters in the office yeah i think the office, i mean basically anyone who's not an important like the okay. neo's dorky handler or whatever the guy who's like trinity's a fox that guy i uh -huh. think is sense eight okay yeah. uh trinity's husband chad is uh keanu reeves's stuntman who is famous now for directing the john wick movies very handsome fella built build as handsome chad i think in the credits of this movie and named chad so uh lena wachowski will have his jokes Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, they, they really get addicted to this style. So the Matrix is famously like the studio didn't know what it was, but they wanted like, okay, this could be big. Can you show us? So they storyboarded everything. It does have what Ben was talking about, just this precision to the way that mm -hmm. it's made, to the way that it's filmed, to like every shot was planned. The actors are hitting their marks. There's just nothing about that movie that's an accident. And same thing basically for reloaded and revolutions but then somewhere in the middle of cloud atlas and going into sense eight they really decide that they like this other style of filmmaking which is where you come with no plan and you get lots of coverage which just means you're shooting a lot so that you can edit edit it together later and you're gonna light you know instead of lighting the perfect composition so that we can just get a close-up of jake and then the perfect composition so we can just get a close-up of ben we're going to just light the whole set in a more even kind of less beautiful way. And we'll have two cameras running, one on Jake, one on Ben. We don't have to worry about continuity. You know, if Jake moves his hand here, we're going to capture Ben's reaction in the same shot. So it's just very loose, a little bit more like a TV show. And they just decided they really liked this, this style and it was really fun. And I think that as much as anything accounts for how much of a betrayal this new movie feels like because it just doesn't have the feeling of the old matrix movies like at all in the way that it's shot in the way that it's scored. They also changed their collaborators. They stopped working with their old cinematographer. They stopped working with the guy who did the music for the matrix. And I think the music for the old matrix is pretty sorely. Yeah. Missed. Although they call it back a lot. Yeah, they do call it back enough, but I, I, I did not like the new music very much. The studio as is illustrated in this movie, you know, as they make fun of Warner Brothers owns the rights, they can do more matrixes, they talk about doing more matrixes, they keep 
being in the Wachowski business, even though they're not making any money off of these movies. And every year they go to the Wachowskis and say, do you want to make another Matrix? And they say, no, we're done. We want it. Neo died. That was the end. It was the Neo and Trinity story. He sacrificed himself to Brooker Peace and she got some rebar through her chest and it's over. But the studio can, as Mr. Smith talks about in this movie, just do it. And they start talking about it at a certain point. And at a certain point, it becomes much less important whether they anger the Wachowski brothers or not, because the Wachowski brothers just don't represent any kind of value that they just keep in Hollywood anymore. In Hollywood anymore. Except for <coughs> their trans identity. Except for their trans yeah. identity, which is something. So the studio begins trying to broker a I mean, deal. National Women's Month, The Matrix is... Uh, yeah. the, the top movie by women's directors, which yes. I love, by the way. I love that men, great joke. men are winning all the women's competitions, that a man became the greatest Jeopardy earner just uh, recently, and that a man directed the greatest movie of women's uh, month or whatever. What Jake is referring to is if you go to certain streaming services, you will see a list of the greatest movies directed by women, and The Matrix is one of one of the greats. I think it's the first one that they list. Yep. Point Break. Above Point Break. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keanu Reeves just has a talent for, sta- for starring in the best movies directed by women, doesn't he? Uh-huh. It's a good point. So anyway, what the, what the studio... So the studio is like, we'd really like to just do another Wachowski Matrix. They won't do it. Can we do a Wachowski, a non-Wachowski Matrix, but to get their blessing? Because that would be, that would be the best of both worlds, actually. We're not going to have them bringing their weird sensibilities to it. But if they sign off on it. But they adamantly refuse they do not want anyone else playing in this sandbox but them for better or worse and finally the important thing that happens is ron and lynn wachowski their parents die and then uh, also a friend of lena's i'm sorry folks larry it's too confusing a friend of larry's die dies and he decides i am so sad and i'm in and i the only thing that comforts me is thinking about the two most important characters in my life, Trinity and Neo. <laughs> Those great three-dimensional characters that I developed that I love so much. And I can't bring my parents back to life, but I can bring them back to life and I can spend time in that world again. And wouldn't that be a comfort? And according to him, the story just came to him all you know in a night after his parents died or something like that. I'm sure that's complete BS. That's the kind of thing artists always say, and I never believe it because it's just not been my experience of how anything works but i'm sure you got a lot of inspiration or whatever and so yeah i guess the only other piece of baggage is that's that's kind of important is that the matrix changed movie making and all of its tricks got co-opted all of its vocabulary of the way of doing action and everything got co-opted and turned into marvel movies and kind of spoofed and used poorly in things like charlie's angels in the early oddies but then you don't watch a Zack Snyder movie or a Marvel movie that's not directly drawing on the kind of innovations that the Kung Matrix. Fu Panda. Yeah, well, exactly. Kung Fu Panda. Would we Very have Kung true. Fu Panda? <laughs> <laughs> the world would be Kung Fu Pandaless. So, yeah, no Zack Snyder. No, no. What would we do? And no Marvel. What would we do? I mean, these these guys just they synthesized everything. I mean, The Matrix is a really important movie. It it put together all these techniques, and the sequels are really important. And, and the sequels look chintzy now, like the Burly Brawl, the famous Thousands of Agent Smith. Mm-hmm. It, it looks kind of bad, but that's because they were pushing much like George Lucas with right. the prequels. They were pushing the limits. The nineties was could just do. an important time for all that sort of thing. It yeah. was really just the time of 
pushing tech forward and synthesizing. It's like you you also have in the 90s, late 80s and into the 90s, a bunch of just artistic synthesization too. So if you want to track in the 70s or 80s with Spielberg, but when you get to, if you think just about music, like what was U2 or Coldplay or Radiohead doing? They were synthesizing the Beatles who were synthesizing. It was just like this next yeah. revolution of of things. And so you have film doing very similar sorts of things where it's like, we're going to do the same thing that Spielberg did, but we're going to take it in a different direction and we're going to draw in Japanese influence and, and other things like that. Right. And, and The Matrix is arguably the most important of those. I mean, Lord of the Rings and... Uh, George Lucas, obviously. I mean, George Lucas probably, I, actually probably the prequels are the most important. I mean, we could sit here and argue all day what, what the most important is. But from a you, pure text uh, standpoint, it's the prequels and you can't argue that. Right. From a style standpoint, though, it's the Matrix. It's the Matrix. Yeah, and the Matrix, right. I mean, you don't watch an action scene that's not downstream of the Matrix these days. You just don't. And yeah, <laughs> they either don't care about the Matrix or they do, and it shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that still defines the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just is. Yeah, and you know, if a nerd was here, then I'm glad there's no nerds here, but if a nerd was here, you know, they'd say, what about John Woo? And what about the, well, yeah, okay, there's lots of stuff the Matrix was drawing on. You can, like I said earlier, the Matrix is very blatant in its amalgamation, but it's it's the one that put it all together for people. And popularized it. And popularized yeah. it. Yeah. And it popularized, I mean, it helped popularize <laughs> things like anime, uh, certainly club culture, <laughs> good old club culture, techno all this stuff. I want some Luke Besson factory action movie with Jason Statham or something. And we're going to hear techno music on the soundtrack as he beats up guys in a hallway. And it's just the matrix. It's just the matrix. So these movies were big and influential and their creators have had to contend with that as their creators do. That's obviously a big part of the movie that we're discussing today. The other thing that they've had to contend with is the influence of the Matrix philosophy, the red pill movement. I was a little surprised that this movie, there's definitely some some references and some, I mean, you could argue there's there's some straight up allegory in here for red pill and all this kind of stuff. And obviously they, they make sure to give us some nice girl boss stuff at the end. But yeah, the whole philosophy of the Matrix has been popularized and sort of owned by a somewhat unpleasant, I think I would say, but also somewhat pleasant group of people on the internet. I mean, you've got the actual red pill guys. They're pretty uniformly unpleasant, I would say. But then you've got just the whole independent thinking crowd that likes to talk about the simulation and all that kind of stuff. There's just so many ideas from the matrix that have just trickled into society and become points of references and and frames for how people particularly in the conservative the more conservative or independent world think and talk about things and lana is not i'm sorry I, my brain's not gonna be able to turn it into larry i'm just used to people calling him lana so i'll use the right pronouns but i'm not gonna dead name him guys you can't make me dead name him but i won't but i will misgender him so <laughs> lana is Contending with all that kind of stuff. I guess this will be my final piece of context. I plight my troth to it. The only other thing I would say is he is contending with the legacy sequel. And the legacy sequel is something that we contend with a lot on this podcast. And 
mostly are pretty disgusted by, as is anyone who's unplugged from the matrix that we live around around in us. I mean, so we're contending with The Force Awakens and this, we're contending with Ghostbusters Afterlife and with all with Spider-Man. I'm going to do it. Jake doesn't want me to do the bit where I forget the name. So I'm going to do a bit about how I do a bit. Very metatextual, just like Lana. Spider-Man. <laughs> what? I just... Oh, yeah. Just like uh, Larry. Uh, Spider-Man f- Far From Home? Nope. Nope. No way home. That's it. No way home. All right. Got it. He's done it. Got it. So, and, and there's been this pretty interesting dialogue. Top Gun. Top Gun. Yeah, we're going to contend with Top Gun. I, I think that we, there's been this, the rise of toxic fandom, all this kind of stuff. There's a dialogue going on right now, if not a vicious war, machine machines versus man type war between the creators of these intellectual properties and their fans. And we as a culture are kind of just, trying to decide who has the power. And so fans are very entitled right now and they want what they want and they want the same old stories and creators like JJ Abrams are like, here, have some more of what you want. Or the guy that did Ghostbusters afterlife, his name escapes me, Jason uh, Reitman here, here's some more of what you want. I guess I'm not going to try and recontextualize it or do anything, but just here, have some slop pigs. And then you have people like Ryan Johnson who are like, I'm not going to give you anything of what you want. I, I, I stand against you. I, I know you wanted a Star Wars movie that did Star Wars-y things, and I don't like that. And I think you're stupid. And I'm not going to – I'm unplugged, man. And you should – and the critics are unplugged because they like me, and you should unplug too. Like, come on. Like, and it's an interesting battle and an interesting conversation. And I would say I don't know exactly how to – articulate what side I would pick or what we as a podcast would pick, what we together would pick as a, like, we don't like Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson feels like he's breaking the contract. He's, you know, I, you could, you were contracted to do a star Wars movie and you just didn't want to. And that's no fair. That's no fun. I just think there's an excluded middle. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I, I much prefer JJ Abrams to Ryan Johnson because at least Abrams understands he has a relationship to the fans. Right. And he may misunderstand that relationship, but he's going to do his best to make something for the fans in his own misconstrued way. Ryan Johnson, he he's just so arrogant. So, you know, if you can't make a movie that people actually like, that shows some respect for the people that like the property you're dealing with. And Well, it's, it's this weird thing. I mean, I, the most helpful thing about art that I've seen in the last year or so has been an interview with Salman Rushdie. And I probably referenced this on the podcast before or on the booking where he said, where he talks about art as being a contract between a creator and his artist or his, his audience. Basically what he says is you're, he's talking actually about the first, how important the first sentence and the first paragraph of your book is if you're a writer, because he's saying you, that's where you set the contract. And if you set it wrong, people will feel betrayed. So if you say, I'm going to tell it the best spaceship story of all time, and then it ends up being a human drama, they're going to feel like you broke the contract with them. If you say, here's the best human drama of all time, and then you have a spaceship show up halfway through, same thing. It doesn't mean you have to show all your cards. It just means if there's magic in this universe, if there's, you know, there's a way for JK Rowling to not tell you everything about her magical universe, but also say, Hey, Hey, listen, you, you want to hear a story about 
some magical stuff and some whimsy and some like adventure. And you're like, yeah, I want to hear that story. And then that's the story she gives you. So that's a pretty good way of understanding why something like Matrix Reloaded for all of its good stuff doesn't actually work because people people wanted the fairy tale. They wanted the, well, the, A, they wanted Kung Fu and they wanted people in leather kicking each other. But the movie actually does have plenty of people. You mean, in, you mean Resurrections? You said Reloaded. Well, no, I'm actually, I actually am intentionally oh, really? going back to Reloaded okay. right now because right. uh, people were disappointed by that one first. And I think it's actually because the Matrix has this really resonant story that it has the Campbellian monomyth and we can all see ourselves and we all feel oppressed and we all want to unplug and we all want to fight the man and we all want to be the chosen one like it's something that but the burden of greatness and you know all this kind of deconstruction stuff there's just nothing to relate to in the matrix sequels actually and so i think people were really angry and it does have that sex stuff and that's not and that that also feels like a violation of the contract like even for people who like sex stuff, it feels like a vibe because that's just not the movie that they bought a ticket for. I didn't buy a ticket to watch people have like a club orgy, orgy. orgy scene. That's just, that's not. And so now skip ahead to something like uh, Force Awakens. As lame as it is, it holds up its end of the contract. You wanted a Star Wars movie. You wanted the feeling of a Star Wars movie. Here's a Star Wars movie. And you can complain about it not doing anything innovative or interesting, but it it gives the people... You're back in the world. It feels like the world. It feels like everything that you know. Right. And then you have Ryan Johnson, and he really, I think, violates that contract and sitting there in the theater for the first time, as I've said before, you just felt like people were with him until the end when Luke Skywalker comes out and is lame and dies. It's just like, no, I'm sorry, Ryan Johnson. You can play with all this lore. You can be interesting with the mythos. You can ask questions, but... If you're not going to give me a Luke if Skywalker. If you're not going to give it back to me at the mm-hmm. end. Like, you can take it away with Yoda in the tree and all of that. You can take it all away. But you, instead of giving it back to me, you doubled down. That's right. What, that's what I can't accept. And I think a good frame for that is you violated the contract. Like, I paid money to see Luke Skywalker bust up. And we've waited for this our whole lives. This was the promise. Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Finally. J.J. Abrams made this promise at the end of the last movie when she showed up on the We're island. We're finally going to get Luke Skywalker in power. Right. And you can subvert that as a way of circling back around and giving it to me. Like, if you can have Luke be grumpy and toss the lightsaber away, you can do all that, but you better... Yeah, if he had paid it off at the end, we it would have been easy to forgive everything else that he did. Instead, he doubled down. Right. And it, yeah, and it's it's a violation of what people bought their ticket for, and it's why people were so irrationally in some in some sense like who cares it's a movie but also you lied to me disney you lied to me ryan johnson you promised me something you gave me something else and the th- it doesn't matter how great the thing is that you gave me it doesn't matter how interesting and subversive and it just doesn't matter it's not why i bought a ticket if i want a deconstruction of a hero i'll go buy something else that's not why i go to star wars and i think that's totally fair i also think it's totally fair to look at something like rise of skywalker to take a more mundane example and just say you gave me everything i want i wanted but you didn't figure out how to repackage it in a way that made it felt feel new and dramatic and exciting and you shouldn't have pandered to me too too much you needed to ask more questions you needed to make me work for it you needed to make me work for it actually and then give me a good version of those things right (laughs) yeah Uh, anytime i go to sam's club or costco or one of those stores i think this is a good metaphor for storytelling 
Because the the way the reason that people go to those stores, it, like they're the most obnoxious stores. You have to like walk around and find the stuff, and it's in this big vast warehouse, and it's annoying, and they don't give you bags, and you you there's only one entrance that you can go in, and one entrance, just finding your way around the store, finding your way out. But but I think there's actually something psychological about the way those the stores are laid out. Because I asked myself one day, like, why don't they just lay out these stores? easily like why don't they just make you not work for it and and then i thought no that's actually part of the charm it's actually part of what a sam's club shopper likes is working for it they like thinking i'm getting a great deal because i went to sam's club and i had the pain of an extra 20 minutes of looking around like psychologically there's a reason you actually lay out a store in a most irritating manner because it's really satisfying for a certain kind of person to get all their industrial sized potato chips at Sam's club and think that they're saving 50 cents and to think that they, they went on this adventure and that's how a story should work. It should like deny you and deny you and make you work for it and then give it to you in the most spectacular way possible. You know, you get the best deal because you work the hardest. You know, not like they had so much promised, promised intrinsic in the, and that's what all these, these, franchise reboots have they have so much promise intrinsic in their existence right that it's really hard to imagine how to how to navigate all of that in a way that ultimately is going to be satisfying and it's why you can have you can actually give a give the luke scene if in a context where you don't have to promise it right right you just promise that a jedi is going to show up and then suddenly luke skywalker is on your scene then it's the greatest thing that right. Star Wars has ever done you mean like in, in all of Star Wars history. That's yeah. exactly what I mean. Yeah. Apart from maybe Vader's always seen. Right. Like, it's just the greatest thing ever. Right. But they didn't have to promise it. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like Rogue One didn't have to act, have to promise Vader was going to show up and do something awesome. In both of those cases, you feel really loved. Like, oh, you didn't even promise this, but you... You gave it to me. You went out of your way to give me something more than I asked for. I would have been happy with... Plo Mando Coon. fulfills his <laughs> journey, whatever, yeah. <laughs> I would have been happy with, yeah, any number of other scenarios. You gave me the best possible version. Right. Wow, cool. I feel really rewarded. And I feel really rewarded for suffering through a boring season of The Mandalorian. Right. I, I didn't feel like suffering the first time through, especially because the world is just that cool, but also it was boring and... Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back and rewatch it, but I'll go back and rewatch that Luke Skywalker scene. Yeah. Well, so you have, on the one hand, then this is what the whole first act of the movie that we are discussing talks about. You have, on the one hand, these really entitled fans who say, I want to feel this and this and this, and I want to feel it in the same way that I felt it. But I also want to What is it? What are the expectations? Right. Ah, it's philosophy. No, it's bullet time. Bullet time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in that scene, it is just Larry, Lena saying... What, what do you want me to do? Like some people thought it was cool action. Some people thought it was cool style. Some th- people thought it was the story. Some people thought it was the sci-fi. And I think that seems completely unfair. Actually, I, I, I'm not with the, I am, I guess the reason I'm setting all of this up is just to say, I think creators and fans should have a little bit more grace with each other because both sides of this war are pretty judgmental actually. And it's stupid. Like, the fans should not expect to be surprised. They should not expect to feel the feelings that they felt the first time they saw The Matrix. It's, it's impossible to recapture that. But also, it's fair 
that that scene wants to make the point that you can't boil down everything and just redo it, but it, actually you can. The Matrix had cool action, cool style, an easy to follow universal story, and uh, some mind blowing sci fi ideas. And you should, you are contractually obliged if you're going to make another one to try and replicate all four of those things. And Lena is saying no. I, I won't do it. I can't do it. You can't ask this of me. And that's, that's, I think that's lame, actually. But that said, I like the movie. I think it's the best version of the, I refuse to do these things. I really enjoyed the first act for exactly that reason. I thought, I did not think it was uh, proud sniping at the audience. It, it might have been, to, it was some, definitely some sniping at Warner Brothers. But I thought it was just like, can we all just agree that this is impossible? Mm-hmm. Like, can we all just agree that this is hard and then just have some fun in this world? Which, what I would... And I found it amusing and almost even kind of sweet. I I did too. I thought it was about... I'm surprised I, that I wasn't more irritated by it. Because, like, you hear, like, Tom York complain about <coughs> how audiences want him to play creep at every concert and why can't he just be an artist? And I have no patience for that sort of thing. You're, you became Radiohead. You got the money to live your life, do what you want, never work again because of Creep. Because you wrote Creep. Because you wrote Creep. So just play it. It takes four minutes. And then you can, then, then they'll sit through whatever garbage you want to. And it's kind of the same thing with Lena Wachowski. You, you built your career on people floating around kicking each other. Just do it. Just give us some action scenes. Just give us people in leather. It's fine. And, and then do what you want, which is kind of what they did in the initial Matrix sequels. And this one he is really digging in his heels and saying, uh, I don't even, I'm not even going to bother with action I mean, anymore. I, I mean, to, to be fair to him, I would say he does. He bothers with all those things. And what he does is he says, fine, here's what it is in this movie. It's the background noise of everything. And I'll yeah. give you a lot of background noise. I'll give you a lot of people kicking each other, give you slow motion gunfights, give you, gi- I'll, I'll give you the stuff, but I'm not, it's just not but I'm not going to film anymore. it. But I, I, I have more respect for that than a lot of other uh, attempts at this sort of thing that I've seen. Because what he has said is, I I know there are all these things that made the Matrix cool. And we all know that there are all these things that made the Matrix cool. And I want to give a Matrix movie, but I want to tell you a story about the thing that I think, as the creator of the Matrix, is at the heart of the Matrix and that I Mm -hmm. think is cool. And this is the story that I want to tell. And I want to give you as much of those things as I can give you while telling you my heart somewhere else. And I just felt like it was very fair. I, I think it, it's like to use my old analogy, if Tom York wrote a rock opera, a pretty good one about how he didn't want to play creep anymore, that might be kind of fun. And it was actually pretty sweet. And it was like, here's the pressures that I felt when you all wanted me to play creep. And then creep is always playing in the background of his rock opera. Yeah, that, that's, that's about where this movie lands. Yeah. And so you're hearing Creep all over the place. Yeah. And, and that, it's referenced in the score here and there, but it's a different story or it's not Creep because it's... No, no, I would still say, that. could we have just had Creep? <laughs> <laughs> I, I still wanted Creep. <laughs> like, like just, just somewhere in there. Yeah, I would have liked for there to be better action. Get a, get a cover band to just come in and do Creep for a minute. But that being said... But you know what? You know what Larry did give us? Yeah. A story. <laughs> yeah, and I was so grateful for that. <laughs> I mean, I hate <laughs> he to He gave be... us a story in a world that was realized. Yeah. With characters that were people, even if they had bad actors playing them. 
And, and the only bad actor is actually Keanu. So, I mean, what? And like, would you have it any other way? And would you have it any other way? Yeah. You could, you could <coughs> at this name? point, right? Why Ooh. did I lose your name? Carrie Ann Moss? <coughs> no. Bugs? <laughs> no. Old Niobe. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. I, I would have terrible. someone else. This is awful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Joseph Cotton from Citizen Kane level <laughs> bad <laughs> old age horrible. makeup, <laughs> but yeah. but still, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris, Jonathan John, Goff, Jonathan Goff, Groff, 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 Groff thought, yeah. yeah, came to play. Absolutely, he was awesome. Yeah, he, it was fun. They were both awesome. Well, it, it, I just feel like new new uh, Morpheus. Was oh yeah, great. yeah, that, he was great. That, that yeah. guy, that guy's great. Yeah, absolutely. I loved everything about the way that they handle Morpheus. Well, and I just and Bugs was pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think. This movie is the only movie of 20... Here's here's why this is the best movie of 2021. Because I've thought about it with some amount of pleasure. Like 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 Spider-Man, what you said, Jake, like it doesn't make me want to be Spider-Man. Right. It also just doesn't like make me... My kids aren't playing in the parking lot afterwards. E- even as an adult, I want a little bit of playing in the parking lot afterwards. Like I, I, I want to imagine myself in yeah. this world and the matrix. I, I, James Bond was cool and it's existential James Bondy way, but it didn't do anything that made me sort of think about James Bond any more than the duration of the movie, you know, and, and doing the podcast. I guess maybe a little bit. Did That's the, not fair. Okay. That's not I was, fair. I was yeah. going to say that movie stuck with me. Yeah, it did. That movie lives with me. It still does. I'm still trying to get Amanda to want to watch it with me. Yeah. And I would like to watch like, it again. I want to watch it. Like, it's the first movie, actually. I complained about this exact thing with uh, the other Daniel Craig bond, uh, bond installments, which is I don't come away really wanting to be Bond or, like, caring about right. Daniel Craig's Bond because Daniel Craig hates Daniel Craig's Bond. This is the first time that Daniel Craig seemed to have some affection for the role of Bond, and it was a little infectious. Like, I don't know. It was pretty cool. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I... Like well, unfortunately, it made us all sort of feel like, oh, we should go back and watch other James Bond movies, and that's a complete waste of time. Yeah, um, yeah. So okay, that's that's an unfair comparison. But but I but my point with the Matrix stands. I would say is, that Daniel Craig's Bond is the only thing that's given me anything like that. Unless you want to say that some action in Shang Chi made me like action again. Yeah, or think about yeah action. But scene. I can't I can't think of anything else that's made me be like that was actually cool. Right, and that's some coolness that I want to, I want to own, or I wish, aspire to, or wish that, or just dream about, or daydream about for even half a minute after I've seen the movie. There's really nothing, yeah. Well, in Marvel movies these days, the, especially the latest Spider-Man, seem designed to almost to repel that sort of thing. Like, yeah, you must live in the moment. Our story is not constructed in such a way that you're supposed to even ask, like, what happened to the other Spider-Man mans when they went back? Did they remember? Like. We are actively, the more you think about it, the less you'll like it. So just stick with us from scene to scene and has fun things. Hey, it's your old Spider-Man. Yay. All this stuff. And, and it's, it's like. Well, and it's like they don't even have, I mean, the movie opens up so many possibilities and that's just the dumb thing about it. It's like it opens up so many possibilities that you can't think about any of them. It's like, oh, what if Toby and Andrew's Peter Parker is super angry because they showed up in their universe and spells a strangest spell reached into their universe and now nobody knows who Peter Parker is. Right. Like what if, all kinds of what ifs, but they're impossible and stupid to even try to ask because they're not, you don't have any confidence, they have any idea, they don't have any answers, they're not teasing anything. Well, and the world's not so well built that you can kind of put yourself in the shoes of Doctor (laughs) Strange and think, 
And that's the thing that I appreciated so much about the Matrix to bring it back to the Matrix is as dorky as it is, as stupid as it is, as bad as it is in many ways. It's like, are they going to paint the sky with rainbows at the end? I don't know. What would I do? You know, there's just all kinds. Who's the analyst is still alive? There's just it's all sturdily constructed enough for uh-huh. a silly little sci-fi movie <laughs> that like how many how and long you can't flip the premise on its head like you can with I mean just the minute you step out of a Marvel movie like Spider-Man, you can flip the premise on its head. What if Peter Parker had just said, let's make the world forget that... Jake Gyllenhaal existed. That Mysterio ever existed. Yeah. Problem solved. No movie. You just create these elaborately stupid plots that all hinge on everybody in the movie suspending disbelief and being And people say, well, I just wanted to eat popcorn and enjoy the movie like a roller coaster. That's fine, but I wanted to enjoy it in the parking lot too i didn't just want a roller coaster that i got off and never thought about again i wanted a story that engaged my imagination one way or another yeah it's just not fun it's just not fun yeah it feels like a waste of time if all i'm getting is two hours worth of num num uh, uh. and maybe that's all that the world is anymore is we just want constant streams of numb and not something that's actually interesting or inspiring or creative or thought-provoking but jake you sound a little like the merovingian there and his great cameo in this movie it was great (laughs) i can't replicate any of what he says but he's speaking in french half the time well and yelling about uh yelling vulgarities about facebook and stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) even hear what he was saying yeah it's hard pretty silly yeah i I thought the merovingian was a nice awesome little touch (laughs) well there again it's like these exiles, they've lived through another iteration of the Matrix and they're just here on the periphery. Like, that's a fun idea that I can think about for a couple minutes. And, you know, like... Smith is the only one able to find them. And Smith, like the whole story of Smith, this this, this, this weird, tragic story of this program that was just meant to be a gatekeeper of the Matrix. And then by the first Matrix was already going bad for some, just glitching out for some reason and mad at its own creation and then got a piece of neo and printed on it and became this virus thing and now is an uneasy ally with neo it's just like that's a fun trajectory that's a fun little it's it's not shakespeare or anything but it's just like a fun a to b to c thing that you can think about and fill in some gaps and maybe even feel a little bit of something about and yeah i don't i don't want to heap too much praise on this movie for just doing basic movie things that marvel has forgotten how to do but man it's been so demoralizing to see thing after thing after thing like ghostbusters afterlife or spider-man where they're just not following like basic story construction and and, then this one had a story and characters and stuff and that felt really nice how is smith i thought smith how (laughs) we actually thought of an answer for how or why although they don't explain why why he's an ally of neo no i mean how did he not how did he survive destroying neo <clears throat> i think smith was deleted at the so if you guys really want an explanation yes it, revolutions neo smith absorbs neo which allows the machines to mm-hmm. to delete to delete yep. smith and i think smith's just dead at that point as is neo but they're both resurrected neo is resurrected and then smith is his program is rewritten because much like Trinity, what they realize is that there's this yin and yang thing that's 
one way or another been mm-hmm. imprinted into the one. And so Neo always needs his Trinity and he always, yeah, needs, he always his, needs his, his Smith. Smith. And I don't know. I think it's kind of sweet. Smith uh, had come to some acceptance of like, <laughs> we, we can, we can keep trying to destroy each other forever, but actually let's just, how destroy about we just take down the man. <laughs> how about we just take down the man? And then, you know, I mean, I'm sure if they do a matrix five, there'll be another reason for Smith and Neo to <laughs> have another fight, which is, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I love. I mean, I, I I've always loved the character of Smith, and I liked what they did with him here, and I liked the fact that it was. Just I was like, confused in the third act if it was Smith going after once the the once the analyst gets or seemingly gets dispatched, activates his bot the the bots or whatever. Yeah, I was confused if that was the analyst or uh, through the point of the movie, and, and I guess the. The analyst tells us at the end that they hit the, the machines above hit the doom button or whatever. Right. But in in the moment, I was confused. Like I was too. I, is this is Smith taking over all these people and making them kamikaze out windows and be human bombs? Like I I did think it was the analyst because it was his tech or whatever. Yeah, I didn't think that the bots were like the zombie people were. Smith. Smith control. I was just like, did Smith die or did he, because he turns into the homeless guy or whatever. Right. And he, but I think that's he turns just. into the barista. Right. But that's just Smith leaving, I think. Ultimately, that Smith is just like. That's right. He he has this, this speech. You could have been anyone, but I can be anybody. And then he turns into the barista and then he's gone. And then all the people start attacking him. and I, And that made me think. Okay, so Smith could Smith can infect everybody like that and just take them over. That's where that, better action actually I think would have clarified the storytelling. Yeah, because if Neo and yeah. Smith had had a really definitive feeling fight in that bathroom, then you'd just feel like, okay, we've got our Neo and Smith out of the way and we don't mm-hmm. need it anymore. But no. instead it was just kind of like, is that the build up to the big Neo and Smith fight that always happens that's, in these movies? That's what it felt like is build up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, there there was a visual cue for the bots, the thing in their eyes or whatever. Right. Their eyes turned matrix Yeah, yeah which, which, which Smith didn't have. Right. The barista didn't have, but... Yeah, I think Smith just, just left, which is great. I think that's a really sweet ending for my favorite character from my favorite movie franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him and Neo, not going to keep doing this thing forever because what's the point? We've both been playing to the system the whole time and... Would have loved to see Hugo Weaving do a little bit in this movie one way or another, but I wasn't sold on Jonathan Groff at first. Like walking out of the movie the first time, I didn't, and I've only seen it the once, but I've watched some clips and stuff. I wasn't, I was like, I don't know whether he quite got it, but then I thought about it a little bit more and I read some things and I thought it's pretty smart, actually. Like the, the, the scary, it's actually a pretty fun reading of our modern culture. Like the scary, like in 1999, the scariest thing is this white guy, patrician kind of Tommy Lee Jones type figure. But actually the new that is a tech bro, not wearing any socks with his shoes, smoking a cigarette in his high rise, like uh, Mm -hmm. Zuckerberg, Bezos, like that's a really fun place to put Smith and have him be this dorky younger guy who calls Neo Tom and stuff. It's just like, that's the most annoying uh, yin to Neo's current yang or whatever. Uh-huh. So it's it's pretty clever. And Jonathan Goff is Goff is a fun guy to oh, he was awesome. play that version of Smith. It is interesting that they cast two gay Broadway 
stars as their major the major villains of this thing made by trans people that's supposed to be a big trans but we're gonna cast twerpy what's his face neil patrick neil harris. patrick harris and is he a broadway star oh yeah yeah he's and been, he's gay yeah he's he's gay oh he's definitely gay and so is groff so we're gonna Didn't get know. these these really handsome gay twerpy guys to be the major villains but again that's where uh, the lana larry feels more astute somehow like his instincts are always better. Like, he's always going to tell you it's a trans... He makes a movie like a man would because yeah. he's a man, yeah. as it turns out. I think out. that's the be- a better way of saying what I was trying to mm-hmm. say. I mean, can we just stop and think about the insanity of the idea that any woman would ever make a Matrix movie, any of them, mm-hmm. ever, including this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No woman would ever dream up this world or tell this kind of story in this kind of way. Right. These are just men dealing with their own twisted perversions. No woman would ever... very much men. No woman would think, Trinity and Neo, the great characters that I've created. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the great love story of our time. <laughs> I mean, it is I almost mean, like you have to put on a dress and pretend you're a woman in order to tell a story this boringly heteronormative and cis in today's weird world. Like, yeah. if you're going to just do a boy wants to save girl story that you got to put on a dress and pretend to be a woman to to make space like if 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 don't worry it's all it's it's all it's all a narrative about trans (laughs) i promise (laughs) but it is a boy saves girl story yes of course of course but i'm telling you (laughs) all these things only matter in our minds anyway if i anybody is qualified to say that it's me because i'm a trans person what matters (laughs) is getting over the binary which you're going to show us Right. By having a, a boy binary. save a girl. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> See how it all works? <laughs> and, th- and that's why... I, I mind did, blown, man. That's why I didn't even mind the girl boss stuff at the end, because I was just like, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? Like, Well, even the girl boss stuff, I told you on the phone, was a hilarious callback to like Laura Dern style 90s feminism. Yeah, we're still doing... Can't you control her? <laughs> yeah, it's, no. it's so sweet. It's, I mean, I, I, honestly, you kind of <laughs> love... Uh, Larry Wachowski and his brokenness like what a sad little broken man who's just stuck in his adolescence telling these silly story about the silly couple that he's invested in and doing this girl boss stuff that like our, our society is so much more sophisticated in its feminism than to need you know Neil Patrick Harris to say a bunch of dumb sexist stuff so she can kick his throat out like <laughs> it's just kind of nostalgic I don't know well, I suppose we should talk through this bad boy. So we have this opening with Bugs and Morpheus. And I think the first line of the movie is something like, this isn't the way I remember it. Or It had me at hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, really, you really were just like in, in for the meta stuff. Like, I loved it. Yeah, yeah I really. Well, the, I mean, come on. It's the Matrix. The Matrix is meta. Right. Like, I, he, it, and, and I think having a light touch about something that everybody took so seriously it, to me, I, I made a joke earlier about who needs Dostoevsky when you have the Matrix, and it, this is sort of of a piece of the same sort of maturity level in my mind. And so to come back at it and be meta about it and have a pretty light touch and poke fun at it in a way that f- from start to finish respects the world and the source material just the same, mm-hmm. I just... I ate up that first act and I had a lot of fun from the, from the moment it began. It's like, we are starting right back at square one. This is Trinity. This is the story, but it's not. And uh, yeah, 
Well, and that is where I think we as uh, toxic, we as, we as fandom do need to be disciplined by our creators and we need them to tell us how seriously to take their stuff. And that's one thing that has been very bad about the last 20 years of, of post matrix filmmaking and Marvel and all this stuff is we're like, we took star Wars felt so serious to me when I was eight. And then they're like, okay, so we'll make a really dark, serious feeling new Star Wars movies. And it's like, no, I actually needed you to discipline me, which is mm-hmm. what I think Favreau and Filoni and people like that do and say, come on, guys, it's silly. It's robots. It's fight scenes. It's like, it's yeah, kid stuff. yeah, we want the mythology to work and be cool and be potent. And we want you to be able to invest emotionally. But also... George Lucas understood. We just want some robot slapstick. We want R2 to spray some oil mm-hmm. on these robots and them to flop around. Like, this is for kids. Come on. And this movie has a nice, like, come on, guys. Like, let's yeah. not take any of this too seriously <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And I like the disconcerting. I like, I like, I think they're playing with me in a good way when you see like a fake bad TV version of Trinity doing yep. doing all the same stuff and we have the characters bugs and her compatriots talking about how mm-hmm. none of this is quite working for them it's not what it should be <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but then the movie does this really interesting thing which is to put all its cards on the table immediately with morpheus like no mystery he's not going to be an agent for a little while like he's just like well, I'm Morpheus, but I also have some Smith in me, and uh, I think Neo wrote me into him. I mean, he like explains half the plot <laughs> <laughs> right there yeah. at the very. You created me to break in and do this very thing, Morpheus and you and Smith, and just like Lena created this movie to help him deal with his grief. <laughs> Neo created. I'm sorry. It's it's all meta. It's all meta, and it's all very meta up front, and yeah. I don't know. You got, how do you guys feel about Mor- new Morpheus and Bugs? They're fun. Yeah, I mean, I liked... I mean, Bugs is lesbo chic and Morpheus is gay chic. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it and part of the ugly of it. But they really work as characters in this super gay world that we live in. Mm-hmm. So we all knew that was going to be... I mean, we're seeing a movie made by a man who thinks he's a woman right so and met his current partner uh in a bondage club i think everything comes back to bondage for these guys i mean it's not well the first movie that they made was called bound if that gives you any indication kind of their calling card that let them make the matrix like larry left his wife for a dominatrix or something like that i've actually got the wikipedia quote right here this is actually probably worth this is just one paragraph from wikipedia the under personal lives it's worth knowing lily married Alyssa Blossingham in 1991. In 2016, Lily mentioned having a boyfriend. In 2019, she said Mickey Ray Mahoney became her partner and moved in with her. Mahoney is a trans man. So it's hilarious. I mean, this happens yeah. all the time, but it's always hilarious. A man and a woman got married. Yeah. There's, there's the story. But one of them's pretending to be a man and the other's pretending to be a woman. Right. And I think, I don't remember why I know this, but I'm pretty sure that the the Wach- neither Wachowski has actually surgically trans transitioned, and so basically we just have a man and a woman living together, and one of them wears a dress, and it's not the one you'd expect. Yeah, Lena, the f- the f- maker of this movie. By the way, I guess it's worth saying if anyone didn't know, Lily had nothing to do with this movie, not because there was a falling out. She's just uh, he is just tired and and doesn't want to do things anymore. Maybe he was the one that liked the action and stuff. We can only mm-hmm. speculate, but yeah. it's entirely yeah. possible that. He was the one that was responsible for some of the things that we miss. 
Lena married Thea Boom in 93. Following the release of The Matrix, Lena began attending the Los Angeles BDSM club, The Dungeon, very cleverly named, where she met Karen Winslow, who worked there as a dominatrix under the name blah, blah, blah. Bloom divorced Lena in 02 after discovering the relationship. And yeah, so Lena is currently together with a biological woman again, just in a... In a dominatrix at that. But a dominatrix. Yeah. Yeah. And the inspiration for Trinity. And this is also worth knowing from the same paragraph. Raised by a hardcore atheist father and an ex-Catholic turned shamanist mother, the duo once described their religious beliefs as (laughs) (laughs) non-denominational. That's pretty Uh, good. What? So sad, broken people. But interestingly sad, broken people, in my opinion, which I suppose we'll talk about more as we dive into this love story. So you got Bugs. Bugs, very atypical Matrix heroine in that she's kind of happy and childlike and excited, which is not something we ever got to see from any of the characters in the original. Yeah, Bugs glows and is kind of sweet. Yeah, which is a nice nice change of pace from Trinity's the whole... The dour. The dour, like... Tight-jawed. Mm-hmm. Right. And you do feel like Lana is just making things more cheerful in this mm-hmm. movie like mm-hmm. he's in a more cheerful place in his life or something or just because his parents he are dead wants something he, more he, wants he, to make something more cheerful yeah yeah bright colors and yep sunshine and none of that green tint which i did miss the green tint a little bit so uh, yeah we go through this big scene and oh i do really like the image of neo on the building lana or not lana bugs in her old life as a window washer sees neo on the <laughs> yeah on the building he looks at her and she sees past the man yeah see this is the kind of and then we flip back and forth constantly is old man with a beard or is mm-hmm. he like a, some bald dude right it's like different iterations or what's going on there mm, bugs saw his true form i think in that yeah, moment in but that moment but to the world he does look like the bald man i think technically mm-hmm. or the old man with the beard the old man with the beard yeah which is what he sees of himself in Trinity sometimes when he catches a glimpse in a reflection. In a reflection, right? yes. Lots of reflections and mirrors and stuff like that. All very deep and profound, as we are used to from this great trilogy of films. Uh, so, yeah, we meet Morpheus. We meet Bugs. Morpheus is a lot of fun in this movie. Should they have just brought back Lawrence Fishburne? Do we have an opinion on that? Nah. No, nah, this, this is a good move. It yeah. was fun. Yeah. I mean, I do miss... It's a a new character, a new creation. Yeah, he is a different guy with different energy. Yes. All right, and then we go into Thomas Anderson's life, and he's a video game designer, and I'm guessing this is where a lot of people just check out of the movie, because he's got all the toys from The Matrix, like the actual, uh, what's that guy, McFarlane line of toys (laughs) on his desk. We've got posters (laughs) and images from the movies, the old movies, and uh, yeah. Yep. And yeah, he's going to meet Agent Smith. Agent Smith is a tech bro now. Oh, and we're going to have keep having these corny flashes of the old movies where they're just like, in case you're dumb, this guy's Agent Smith. And here's Hugo Weaving to prove it. And I love the flashes. <laughs> I didn't care. I just don't I, care. I thought it was fun. <laughs> I mean, it's so I dorky. I didn't mind him. It's so dorky. But I was here for the dork. I mean, I don't know. It was just such a nice, refreshing move from Spider-Man Yeah, to have a movie that's telling a story and connecting it to other things that matter, at least to the creators, if not to you. Like, well, I kept... And that's the thing that's like, in, in the Spider-Man movies, shoot, like, it, 
give us 5% more flashbacks to the old films or something, mm-hmm. we would have made fun of it. Right. Sure. But it might have actually helped you tell a story that connected. Right. Yeah. <sighs> well, I kept comparing this into my mind to Indiana Jones and the uh, Aztec Crystal alien Skull. people. Crystal Skull, yes. And there's a movie where a creator is returning to his beloved intellectual property 20 years later and doing something unintentionally dorky. And we all spat it out of our mouth. Matrix is kind of the same thing. Like, oh, this is completely dorky now. Like, but what it's was intentionally so cool. dorky. But yeah, I think that's the difference. Matrix is like, yeah, we know. It's self-aware, which yeah. is what the Matrix should be. Right. Uh, whereas Indiana Jones, like Spielberg, I think actually thinks he's making a cool Indiana Jones movie. That's right. <laughs> and he's just a dork now. He's, an old, he's a 75-year-old dork, which is fine. You can't be cool forever. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of nice that. Wachowski just doesn't care. Made the coolest movie of the 90s and now is making a legacy sequel and intentionally making it as dumb and dorky, not in a mean or spiteful way. What else is there to to talk about this first act? So, you got Thomas Anderson. He's taking the blue pills. He's seeing his analyst. The other thing about the first act is I think it's a fun introduction to the problem And it leaves you with a thousand options for the way the movie could go. And because you've seen these, so many of these sort of franchise reboots and I I don't know where you thought it was going to go, but I felt like it could go any number of directions. I felt like I haven't solved this movie yet. Right. I I don't know. I felt like we could just go and destroy this whole movie franchise. We could destroy the whole conceit. And so I, and my mind kept running in all the directions that he could do that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So I found myself again throughout the eh, more more dull and expositional second act, but still pretty fun. I, I found myself just sort of like there for it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the, you're not going to break any trust, any contract, any rules. Mm-hmm. This really is just a Matrix story and everything that happened in those other movies happened happened the way you said that they happened. There's no like meta, like Mm -hmm. actually, actually Neo designed the matrix and imprisoned himself in it within layers, within layers. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. There's no betrayal like that. No, this movie does such a good job of bridging the, like I hate in the force awakens the fact that, well, the empire just kind of continued and it turned into the forces, but nothing mattered. (laughs) Yeah. Right, and that's what's that's a problem that a lot of these movies run into. It's it's a classic sequel problem. Like, well, it turns out. I mean, I even hated it in things like the sequel to the Rom- Romancing the Stone. It's like, well, Michael Douglas and the girl hate each other now for some reason. They gotta win each other again. It's like, didn't we go through that all in the first movie? It's just a classic sequel problem. But this movie does such a nice job of honoring the sacrifice that Neo made in the first movie, not undoing it not undoing any of the oh yeah yeah it's nice even the way it treats morpheus oh yeah morpheus is dead now but he has a legacy and stuff has happened since since you saw us last right machines and humans relationships advance because of what neo did things are different we're all in a different place we can eat strawberries now yeah we're in a good place and everything is better for what neo has done yep yeah old morpheus by the way the perfect encapsulation of who i think lena wachowski sees himself as which is 
just this dork that believed in the love story of it all and always believed and everybody else wanted it to be something else. But, you know, I just believed in the one and I was president for a while, but now people are questioning my legacy. So, let's see, anything else? I love that white rabbit scene. The whole, I, I do love the whole boardroom montage and I mean, it's pretty on the nose. We're going to cut to like Neo sitting on the toilet and stuff like that and just being bored out of his skull. He's going to be e- eating steak. I mean, he basically got the life that Cypher right. wanted wanted to buy. Yeah. I mean, I usually don't like those kinds of, I mean, I'm, I'm enough of a rebel to not like the malaise of the 1% kind of, oh, I'm sorry that you have to be a video game designer and listen mm-hmm. to people, idiots, not understand your artistry. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't know. I don't know why this movie feels sweet, actually, because I usually don't like that kind of like, oh, this movie is actually just Wachowski complaining about the weight of making the most popular thing ever and making a billion dollars. Like that kind of thing drives me nuts. Yeah, I think I felt like he wasn't really complaining, actually. The only thing he's complaining about is, hey, I think you all missed the point. Did you even hear what I was trying to say? I want to make the point again through the love story. Mm hmm. So I just I just didn't feel mean or bitter to me. But I don't I don't blame you guys, especially when you were kids for loving all the things about it that you loved or thinking that it was cool. Like we thought that was cool. That's why we did it. Like I'm not going to pretend like I didn't think bullet time was cool. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't think that stuff was awesome. But I don't have another bullet time. I'm sorry. I there's you get one bullet time a lifetime like I can't I can't come up with another one. I'm sorry. That's spent. Yeah. Yeah. And so We'll we'll play in this world and live here as best we can, but this is the story that mattered to really mattered to me then the most, and this is a story that matters to me now, and the only thing that could make me come back to this world. So, can you just accept my world on my terms, please? Mm-hmm. I still like you guys. <laughs> I don't hate you for liking my stuff. Like it just felt like that throughout. I think that's pretty fair, right? I mean, it is. It is weird. Like he, he Ryan is, Johnson feels like I hate you for liking Star yeah. Wars. I hate you for liking everything about Star Wars. I hate you for having any expectations. I hate you for liking laser swords and the Force and heroes and good versus evil. I hate you for liking all of those things. Yeah. You're an idiot for I'm liking above all, it of all those things. And I'm above that and I'm going to force you to either be above it or hate Star Wars. Because Star Wars is now that. above it. Well, it, with Ryan Johnson, it's also it a sense that I've never been that like, That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not even a creator turning on himself and his, his work and his former audience. Ryan Johnson's just like, ever since I've made movies, I've known how to subvert everything. Who are you guys? Idiots. Idiots. Right. Oh, you wanted a Star Wars movie? <sighs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then in why it feels so disingenuous is Johnson's going to go on to claim even more, which is like, I was never even a kid. Like... I was never, it's not just ever since I made movies, I knew how to subvert it. I didn't even like these stories when I was a kid. I was always too smart for this stuff. Well, and if you've watched his breakout indie film, that's an interesting point to make because Brick is all about a bunch of high school kids talking like they're in an adult noir story. And like the whole conceit is, what if high school kids acted like they were cynical adults? I've not seen Brick. Um, no, I've seen yeah, it I, I, I wouldn't. I've heard it's crummy, it's, basically. It's basically, I mean, I just told you everything that's interesting about the movie. Like, let's have high school kids say all this kind of noir bantery stuff, but it's pretty lame. It's pretty lame. I can see why it caught people's attention and gave him a career, but it, no, I would not recommend that any of our listeners go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. This feels sweet. I mean, it is, I will say, 
is a problem with the matrix that I don't know that they ever actually sold that love story in the first movie. It comes out of nowhere at the end of the first movie and they clearly believe in it. And this movie does a decent job of retconning it into something even more like actually Trinity was always what half of the one and Neo needed her to kiss him. Yeah, exactly. But you do not feel that way in the first movie. And all the Matrix sequels have been built around. We love that romance between Neo and Trinity, which just simply isn't actually much of a thing. Right. I mean, it is the corniest. It is the biggest ask of the first movie is, oh, she loves him now and it's going to bring him back to life. Okay. I guess that's what happens in movies. Sparks are going to literally fly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that whole scene, the way it's played tells you that they believed it. Yeah, they really do, which I find wrong, but also kind of sweet. I mean, it feels very adolescent. It, It feels like... We we are these broken transgender BDSM club people, whatever. But we just got stuck it, in a 13-year-old's idea of what a romance would be. And it's broken. It's bad. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. It's evil in its way. But it's also, it, it's kind of sad and sweet <laughs> in its way. Like the fact that you actually buy Neo and they actually think Neo and Trinity is one of the great film romances. It's like, it's delusional, but Okay. It's borderline psychotic. It's borderline psychotic. Like it's part of their psychosis. Yeah, no, it yeah. is It is someone trapped in the matrix of, I felt this way when I was 11. Like when I first read the novel Dracula, I thought the romance between Jonathan Harker and Mina was really something. But but then I read it again when I was 20 and, and again when I was 30,000. And <laughs> guess what? <coughs> it didn't seem quite as profound because I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> These guys never grew past like, wouldn't it be cool if... I was really into a girl and she was really into me and we both kind of dressed grungy and looked the same and we're cool best friends. And, <laughs> and even this movie, like, wouldn't it be cool if she was a soccer mom that also worked on bikes in a <laughs> giant outfitted garage and rode around on motorcycles and wore a leather jacket? Like, it's, it's, <laughs> just, it's just so I'm trapped psychotically in my own, in the, in the modal of my own adolescence so neo gets freed he gets he gets fake freed i do really like that scene in the bathroom i actually like keanu reeves acting where he's like no 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 (laughs) (laughs) this can't be real the thing about keanu reeves in this stage of his career is keanu reeves in a very charming way has fun with the fact that he's keanu reeves and so he smiles a lot more in this movie he's he's not a better actor but he's he's having fun with it well he's just learned to be comfortable being himself right yeah. like mm-hmm. he knows that he has nothing to offer except to be himself and that people actually like that and so he can be cool just being that mm-hmm. <laughs> he somehow lucked into magically being <laughs> well and here's the thing a superstar here's the thing <laughs> yeah i a, was i an watched accidental superstar that it's just magic i watched <laughs> i rewatched reloaded in preparation for this podcast and just because i hadn't seen it for 20 years and thought it would be fun but keanu reeves is a movie star it might just be the bone structure of his face. I don't know. But he compels you. You want to watch him. He's not a good actor. But you compare him to someone else in the same role with the same dialogue. And it's like, you could be very boring as Neo. But Keanu Reeves is interestingly boring as Neo. When he says, whoa, when he says, I know Kung Fu, it's like, it's compelling to watch. He draws, you compare him to Orlando Bloom playing a nothing part in Pirates of the Caribbean. And he's, it's just like, I don't even, why, why don't we just with Johnny Depp? Why are we with this square over here? There's a way to interestingly compel my attention while sucking. And there was a way to not. And Keanu Reeves just 
he is a movie star, whatever else you want to say about him. And he's leaned into that very gracefully in the latter part of his career. Doesn't work. I mean, A. You really need the white nerdy dude. I think you need a white. Instead of the cool kid. (laughs) And you need an audience avatar. You need someone who's not bringing too much personality. Yep. Actually. I mean, it might be a good movie. It just wouldn't be the movie that we know and love. It'd be pretty different. It'd be very different. I mean, I also think. Anybody can be Neo. Nobody can be as cool and as charismatic as Will Smith. Well, can I just say little sidebar here? Reloaded really made me angry at where our country is. This is such a dumb thing to say maybe, but Reloaded reminded me of what it was like being in the 90s and, and even into the early oddies where the whole mythology that they're trying to sell me is black people are your fathers and they're your mentors and we're all in this world where we're all together and it's multi-ethnic and all, all, all this kind of stuff. Hmm. And I mean, that is just, that is half of what made the matrix cool feel cool and edgy and awesome and uh, reloaded with its dumb orgy scene and all that stuff really leans into that and i think i mean the orgy scene's dumb but by and large it's successful and it just made me angry that our culture has decided we reject any kind of even silly vision of the world of a world where we can all be on equal footing be on equal footing and if, if you try and if, if you see a figure like Morpheus and you think he's really cool, then it's you're, because you're racist. It's because you're racist somehow. And you're trying to co-opt our culture state. Like you're not even allowed to have a father figure like Matrix, like more like Morpheus. And it, it's just like you couldn't make the, the Matrix exactly. Eh, I don't know. Anyway, it's part of what's dorky about the Matrix now, but it's, it's kind of sweet. So we go into act two. Neo wakes up in the real world. Like I said before, I think they do a really nice job of threading the needle of his sacrifice at the end of revolutions actually mattered. And I mean, act two is probably the weakest, I guess, because we have to put up with a lot of Jada Pinkett Smith. But the world was so cool. Yeah. That I I, I don't know. I didn't really mind it. She was lame, but. I liked IO. I liked the new city. I liked what they did with the legacy of Morpheus. (laughs) The machines. <laughs> it's not a Christian allegory. Zion's gone. Now it's Io. See? That's like Zion, but no Z or no N. And it's a moon. See? <laughs> it's not a holy city. Anyway, just... <laughs> oh, it's not a Christian allegory. I get it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I like that the machines... I, li- I like all the machine people and the ball-bearing people. I like ball-bearing Morpheus, and I like that manatee <laughs> thing. Little dorky robots, and they're making strawberries, and yeah, I just like this world. I liked Zion. Watching Reloaded again, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll hang out with Senator what's his face in the machine room talking philosophy. Like, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they got their sky panels, and uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember. I think this is the part of the movie that I've revisited the least in my brain. So I don't even remember what happens. Niobe's annoying and imprisons Neo. Yes. Yeah. But we're of course going to break him out and we're not even going to play around too much about it because it's just a plot point. Right. And Trinity's out there. we got to get Trinity back. Mm-hmm. And thankfully the little girl program that Neo helped save in whichever movie that was. Mm, revolutions. Yeah. It's all grown up now. Well, you skipped over our first, I think you skipped over the first visit back to the Matrix where we have our big Smith uh, uh, exile right. fight. No. Wait, 
That's before you visit IO. Is that no? No, no. no. This, is, this is this is after. But it's but they they don't meet the little the old little the little girl program the the Indian woman. Right. She kicks off the third act. Right. Yeah, it's mixed up in my brain a little bit. You. They need to decide you, if Trinity can be unplugged. Right. If Trinity can, and so they go to try to find her, and that's when. That's right. That's right. Because Naomi's still against them, and Naomi's going to turn around and be for them once the Indian chick shows up. Yeah. Or Pakistani or whatever. The little girl program from Revolutions, who's for some reason a big girl program now. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But things like that happen. Why is, why is Neo exactly 20 years older after being resurrected? So, yeah. Well, the, I guess the most important thing about that is we get, we get bullet time and the analyst giving a long, twerpy, dorky Matrix monologue about his evil plan to bring back Neo and Trinity and uh, probably my favorite scene actually the bullet time is stupid and the whole f- effect looks like a bad TV sh- like a Xena or Buffy or something TV mm. show or something like that but my favorite scenes in any of Matrix movies are arrogant programs monologuing about their evil plans <laughs> <laughs> I always love it <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> I, I love the architect. I'm a huge fan of the architect. I'm a huge fan of Agent Smith. I'm a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of the Merovingian because it's got that weird sex stuff, but I do like the conceit of the Merovingian. Anytime an arrogant program is monologuing about its its evil plans, I love it. I'm so there for it. So Neil Patrick Harris, like the mytho- I love the mythology of this. I love the reason that they resurrected them. I'm not sure that I'm exactly clear on the reason that they resurrected them, but, <laughs> but I, I love it anyway. But I love it anyway. I love the. I mean, I th- okay. Let me. Do we all agree? The analyst brought them back to study them because that's what he's made to do is study humanity. And he wants to study the anomaly so that he can understand it and thereby defeat it or fold it into the matrix. In studying it, he found that Trinity is actually the other part of the puzzle. And if we keep them close, but not too close. They generate a ton of energy. They can generate a ton of energy. And so we can actually populate matrix. I think this is the seventh matrix. We up. Production levels by tons of percentage points, right? Whatever right. that percentage number he threw out was. Mm-hmm. If we keep people dissatisfied and on the edge, always on the edge of having what they want, but get them addicted to the pain of not having it, right? We can keep them right there at maximum production, which is a nice little commentary on current politics. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be a jab at the right mm-hmm. but like so many things it becomes accidentally a, a pretty perfect jab at the left because metaphors work yeah all purpose allegories is something that Chowski brothers are very good at whoever you feel oppressed by this is a great metaphor for them yeah no i love it i mean i love it in the architect scene i i love that there's something that i love about that feeling of romantic sort of determinism is weighing down on us. This is what you were made for. This is what you've been plugged in for. You really actually don't have a choice. I, I actually like all the stuff in this movie where it's like, is that really a choice? You know, you were, of course you're going to make the, ch- like, no, you were the kind of person that was going to take the, the red pill. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's not, not actually deep, but it's just mm-hmm. kind of fun. Um, in like a Star Trek, the next generation level philosophy kind of sense. It's fun. Choice is an illusion. <laughs> But I do like the doomed existential kind of feeling of, because I think we all have this feeling one way or another of, 
I couldn't control who my parents were. I couldn't control where I got plugged into society. I couldn't control the sins and the temptations and the problems that I have. But I still feel the weight of responsibility for them, and I still have choices that I have to make given them. And so I have the whole weight of all the stuff that I couldn't control on top of me, and then I have the existential dilemma of what I do with it. I mean, I'm saying really obvious stuff here, but The Matrix manages, especially in the sequels, to encapsulate that really well. I mean, you're the chosen one, Neo. Here's what it means. It actually means you're just a part of another system of control. I mean, that's the big conceit of the sequels. But now you've got a choice to make with that. you got to decide how you're going to play that. And is there a way you can play that? Brings peace to... And will you do it for love, Mr. Anderson? I love it. I love it. So Neil Patrick Harris has a nice kind of... You were resurrected and put into your pod to bring more energy to our stupid Matrix 0.7. And what are you going to do? So uh, that brings us to Act 3. Seti, the Pakistani program, comes back or whatever she is. And she's got a heist plan, and we're going to turn into an Ocean's Eleven movie. And, uh, or Mission Impossible. Or Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do the thing where we cut between the person explaining the plan while the people actually do the plan. And uh, yeah, what are you guys' feelings about Act 3 of The Matrix Resurrections, the best movie of 2021, if not cinema itself? I feel like that might be overstating even 2021. <laughs> The second best movie of 2021, if not cinema itself. (laughs) (laughs) You really ready to put No Time to Die at the top of cinema? (laughs) No, No no Time to Die is the best movie of 2021. It's not the best movie of cinema. The best movie of cinema, we'll say, is Citizen Kane. The math isn't going to work. That's right. That's (laughs) my my point. I just gave you... (laughs) If you're going to say that The Matrix Resurrections is the second best movie of 2021... And maybe of cinema itself, then you have to put the best movie of 2021 at top of cinema for the math to check out. Well, the architect was into math, but in the new Matrix, <laughs> we, we we run on feelings, my friend. <laughs> yes, we do. The architect got himself deleted because all he ever did was look for precise mathematical equations, like Jake does. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm more of an analyst kind of a guy. I, did the architect get deleted? Did he say that? Well, I think it was implicit, but huh. I mean, maybe not. I, Interesting. I, I don't think we've ever really been clear on, is the architect just a program and a servant of the matrix or is he actually, does he exist outside of the matrix mm-hmm. one way or another? It sounded like both the Oracle and the analyst, like their whole version of the matrix got deleted because it wasn't working in lieu of Neo's triumph at the end of part three. And so the new matrix was overseen by the analyst who was kind of fulfilling both. He kind of combines what the oracle and the analyst and And he's still there because he still understands people and neo and trinity the best so whatever they do paint the sky with rainbows he's going to be there learning watching trying to figure out how to make the most of it i guess which i love this is what ryan johnson should have done the uneasy alliance between what's his face kylo ren and uh, ray where we have to deal with this stuff and figure it out would have been an interesting place for Last Jedi to go, as I've said many times on this podcast. But instead, we just said, ah, let's keep deconstructing the whole darn thing. So, I don't know. Is there anything else to say about this ending? The uh, love wins. Love conquers all. Trinity's a girl boss now for some reason. She can fly. Yeah. I mean, Trinity's always been a girl boss. What, who am I kidding? But mm-hmm. now she's a one-style girl boss. We got a fairly effective action scene with the... The whole, it's more like a horror scene, really. The, it's a, it's a, the suiciding mm-hmm. bot people. Yep. 
who I think was I reading the movie correctly and thinking these people are in no the bots are in no way actual people. That's right. That's how the Matrix gets away. I mean, it, after the first movie, it had to get away from. Oh, we're just going to kill a lot of people plugged into the Matrix who happen to be security guards. Right. So this is part of that. This is like these are just like the husband's just a bot. Right. By implication, so are the kids. Yeah, they want to play with the ickiness of. I think effectively play with the ickiness. Like I actually like the scene of the little the husband. Like, like oh, they're they're just living among us. And and it is as far as political allegories go, it is like well, fifty percent of the country is just bots because they voted for that's Trump. Right. I mean, that's, that's right. That's and how, they're still shaming us for being trans. Right. That's that's how I felt about the bots. Ah, this is about shame. Yeah. So in some ways, it's even angrier at us. Yeah. Um, like you're not even people. You're just bots. Uh, <laughs> but in the kind that would. Throw themselves out a window and kill themselves when your autocrat says so. Right. Yeah. Which is what you did on January 6th. 6th. So, pretty icky. But I, I will say it didn't make me feel icky. Uh, Marvel, in its stupidity, or, or, or Zack Snyder, or some of these other things, they will just be so callous about human life. Like, it's like the director didn't even... In Black Widow, good example. They, they have this big prison break scene. Oh, yeah. and Natasha and her sister are apparently killing all these people. And it's like... Did the movie stop to consider whether those people deserve to die? Maybe they did, but the movie didn't tell me that. It just told me we need an action scene. So let's bring an avalanche down on this Russian prison. I guess Russian prison and even Russian prison guards are jerks. All you need to know is Russian. Just like right. all you need to know is Nazi. Mm-hmm. Right. And so many movies these days are so callous about human life. The fact the writing of this movie is going out of the way to its way to set the parameters felt kind of nice. Like, it made it feel less icky to me. Like, at least, even if we're setting the parameters in a way that says, Nathan, you should die, at least you chose somebody. You didn't just say, right. anyone that's my enemy should die. And in the logic of the movie, they're not people, so. Yeah. It, it actually <laughs> feels, it, it feels less icky than a Guardian's, like, 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 James Gunn just thinks everyone should die <laughs> at the end of the, he's just a nihilist. Just stupid people. Yeah. Larry, Larry Wachowski actually isn't a nihilist, whatever else he is. I think. I think I'll stand by that. I, no, I think it's true. I think he's a broken, stupid, pathetic idealist whose beliefs aren't worth the scrap of napkin that they're written on, but... And yet worth hours of our time. And yet worth hours of our time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like it or lump it, it's the broken, stupid, pathetic idealist who has defined a ton of our culture. Yeah. Our popular culture. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. And I don't know. This movie got me thinking about trans culture i mean as a movie made by a trans person would and the thing that i don't see in the wachowskis that i do see in most trans filmmakers and trans artists how would i say this i think trans is not ultimately about creating something it's not about transforming something it's about destroying something it's about defacing something when you see a trans person the narrative written in their face written in their body is not i became a woman it's I mutilated a man. It's I destroyed something that I hated. Mm-hmm. I follow this dumb account on Twitter, libs of TikTok or something. And so mm-hmm. it's always showing me these TikTok videos of trans people and scary teachers that are doing horrible things to their students. It's all this really icky, the ickiest of stuff that you can find on the internet. And what you see constantly is, oh, this person was beautiful and then they decided to destroy it. And now they're parading the fact that they destroyed it. And teaching children to celebrate it. And often. teaching children to, and, and so you cannot see it as 
creative force, even a wicked creative force, you have to see it as a purely destructive force. It's just about defacing something. That's that's really all it is, is I hate myself and I'm uncomfortable with myself. I hate my dad. I hate what, whatever I hate. I'm going to... That's what people in cages do who are powerless and have no uh, ability to to deal with... I mean, that is that is the matrix of it all. Right. Like the the way that the matrix comes through as a trans allegory is you have these people with creativity and verve and insight who are trapped and don't know. I think it's a more true trans allegory. I'm just making this up on the spot. I think it's a more true trans allegory than any trans allegory that you find because every other trans allegory is going to be aspirational. Mm -hmm. But I think that Larry and Andy get at something true, which is you have these people who have real desire, God-given desire to control, to exercise dominion over the world around them. And they feel futile. They feel empty. They feel everything around them is controlled by the powers that be. And there's nothing they can do but lash out. And the way they lash out is is self-destruction. And I think that's a lot of what you get in the trans movement. Mm-hmm. It's people who just feel absolutely futile and worthless. And everything is outside of their control. And the only thing they can control is themselves, which they hate. So they're going to destroy themselves. Which is the problem that the first Matrix creates. And then all the sequels have been them trying to reckon with that like all we've got is burn the system down and mm-hmm. that doesn't actually work that's self-defeating it's suicidal and this movie is full of suicide imagery this new one yeah it's just all about suicide and what they ultimately want to do in a way that i do find kind of sweet is they want to pull back and they want to say we can't be totally destructive and, and then they've got nothing. They've got nowhere to go. And so they just make it a fairy tale. And they make it the stupidest Disney fairy tale. It's an inane love story. An inane love story. And it's completely broken. And it's the symptom of great wickedness. Like, I'm not arguing that it's not. When I, when I say sweet, I'm not saying it's not any of those things. I'm just saying it's sweet because God's truth just will not be denied. They've got absolutely nothing but boy saves girl in their arsenal um, <laughs> and boy and girl go for a, f- a flight <laughs> and paint the, the world with rainbows. I mean, it's sweet how, you know, no matter how much concrete you lay on the ground, a flower is going to grow. I, I can't think of a metaphor that's not dumb, but y- you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you can pollute the world as much as you want, but a little sunshine is going to shine through because God made the sun. And this, this movie has at the end of the day, there is an, uh, a fact of nature that you cannot overcome. Right. The sun is the sun and it is bigger than you. Right. <laughs> and it will melt your face and burn your retinas and find a way. Right. And I think in their broken, stuck at a, at a, at a 12 year old boy level, these guys deal with that a little bit more than like, like you have the filmmaker, like there's this movie that just won the Palm d'Or and Khan called Titan. That's just purely destructive and evil and trans and like just it's 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 just pretty honest. Like, oh yeah, we're making ourselves monsters because we hate everything. Like, there's that strain of trans art, but 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 these guys are like, no, we can't do that. That's that's scary. Like, we can't go there. We we don't actually want to 
throw ourselves off the building and find that we just splat on the bottom of the ground. So, so what do we do? And they keep probing that question. They keep, you know, kind of touching that wound. And the place that they land is, well, I guess we have to make friends with Smith. He felt like a scary bureaucrat, but, you know, he's actually pretty broken too. He's under his own system of control. And we could fight this man, but then there's going to be another man. And I don't know. I guess boy loves girl and we'll paint the sky with rainbows. That seems pretty good. You like, so Yeah. Have to make friends with the machines, actually. Yeah. Yep. And then I guess the only enemy is anyone who won't be our friend. Yeah. <laughs> and they're the bad guys. So, I don't know. I don't know how to make sense of all of that. I don't think they know how to make sense of all of that. There's not a cogent worldview at the end of this movie for us to dissect. It's like I was saying earlier, it's a fairy tale about leaving binaries behind mm -hmm. that works by embracing a binary. Right. Which is in its own weird way. It's sweet how God made the world that you actually can't get away from binaries, I guess. The only way we're going to tell a story about no binaries is by going back to Genesis 2 and finding the oldest binary in the book. Boy and girl. Um, so, great movie. <laughs> Fantastic movie. Uh, very silly, dopey movie. Very silly, dopey movie. That's actually kind of fun. I mean, I wish it had some good action scenes. It's I wish too it had bad. good action scenes. It's still, I mean, part of the, the stupid with the Matrix is like, it's still going to have all the coding in it that's going to say, well, this isn't a movie that you want to show your kids. Yeah. And, and not just the, I mean, even apart from the violence and the mm -hmm. some some of that or, or the eroticism of the other movies, the coding, it's just like, it's just mm -hmm. gross. It it's is a gross. filthy, gross, ugly, anarchical, God-hating mm -hmm. world they created for these movies. And yeah, every Christian youth pastor who called it a Christian allegory in the 90s and <sighs> early 2000s needs to be... Horsewhipped. Yeah. That's the word. That's, that's what I was looking for. Thanks. But. Yeah. It was like we always say about a character like Natasha and the Avengers. Yeah. Okay. She functions as a woman in the, in the broader arc of the story, but you're still teaching your teenage boy that a sexy woman can like spin around and beat up guys. And we're, we're still. And that's desirable. That, that we can't. woman is what you want. I mean, speaking of dominatrix fantasies, right? Yeah. Uh, this this movie is still constant, even, even as it cannot help but escape from its cisness. It is in every in every pore of its being, selling you all kinds of corruptions of of the sexual grammar that undergirds how God made us. Just in the way the characters are dressed, in the way they move, in the way that men and women are. Treated. Morpheus is fabulous. Bugs is lesbo chic, mm. and. And I'd be lying if I said that wasn't part of the wicked appeal of the whole franchise. Yeah. And since I've talked about how much I like The Matrix, the things that are bad about me liking The Matrix, the reasons that I don't go back to it very often, may not ever go back to it again if there's not another movie to make me, is, yeah, that. I mean, it does appeal to a certain, like, man, wouldn't it be cool to just, well, I don't even want to say, there is a part of me and a part of many people and maybe a part of everybody that just wants to say screw it and throw off the way that god made us and i'll take control of it i'll take control of it and i'll mm -hmm. i'll dress it and i'll be awesome i'll be wearing like a red leather 
stuff as I do it and look really cool and sexy. And part of me that really enjoys the scene in all four Matrix movies where they they plug somewhere in act two, they go back to the Matrix and they all step out of the portal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they've got some club music going and they've got their fabulous mm-hmm. wardrobes and mm-hmm. everything. And they're just walking down the street. I mean, they understand that that's part of the fantasy and they they do that every single time. And it's so stupid. Like, like if, yeah. what would you do if you saw somebody like that at Walmart or something like that? You'd be like, what the heck? All right, guys, any other thought about the Citizen Kane of Matrix movies, the greatest movie of all time? That's it, I guess. There's really nothing else. Yep. I thought Neil Patrick Harris was a great twerp villain. He was awesome. If I haven't said that enough yet, I really liked him. And Jonathan Groff was awesome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it is just interesting in the mishmash of competing coding in this movie that the villains should both be uh, gay-coded. Yep. In, in kind of that silly old-fashioned way. Two gay men working against our love story. Right. But it's a place where Wachowski is relatively more sophisticated, just can't help but be relatively sophisticated. Like, eh, the people that we're all, as a culture, scared of, the people that wield all the power, as, as I said before, are not the faceless Tommy Lee Jones types anymore. They're the gay 40-somethings. Mm-hmm. 40-something men. Still white men, but... Gay 40-something white men, hmm. as to p- opposed to Tommy Lee Jones from Men in Black. Yeah. Okay. Who didn't play somebody we were afraid of in Men in Black. True. But, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Like, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones personifies yeah. what yeah. everybody, when they first saw The Matrix, before we had a f- the frame of Agent Smith, we thought, oh, wait, it's the Tommy Lee Jones type guy. Yeah. Okay. Should people see The Matrix Resurrections? Maybe. <laughs> if you like The Matrix. And and you've been warned, but you know yourself and you know what the Matrix is. You know what the world is like. Nothing. There's absolutely nothing as explicitly perverse as the two pretty perverse scenes in Matrix Reloaded. No, so no, no. You, you right. won't run in. No. It's actually less violent. I'd say of all the Matrix movies, it probably has the least. It's the most tame, <laughs> right? In terms of sexuality and violence, it <laughs> yeah. feels like the most tame. Yeah, I think so. It's got a little bit of more splatter, but not much. You mean like when the computer code people splatter? Yeah. But then they oh, splatter yeah. into green code. They do, yeah. They splatter yeah. into green code. But yeah. So, still, yeah. it's... Yeah. Got Trinity half-naked in her back-to-tank. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just something to keep in mind. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend this movie for any 13-year-old boys, probably. Nor yeah. would I recommend any Matrix movie. If you're a mature adult that likes sci-fi and enjoys this franchise, <laughs> then I think you'll probably enjoy it. And we've established it's the second best movie of... 2021. How many squids out of 90, Ben? 60. 60 squids. Jake, sure. squids out of 90? Uh, 61. I'm giving it uh, 89. This is, this is called the Price is Right effect. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer was 89 squids. <laughs> Jake wins. Hey, and speaking of winning, you know who wins is our, our lovely patrons of this very podcast. Some fantastic people. One of whom is getting a Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness today. Man, I wonder how Jay feels to be getting an award as the best person on the best podcast where we talk about the best movie of 2021. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? What, what makes Jay awesome, Ben? Jake, thoughts? He's red-pilled. Oh, he is red-pilled, man. <laughs> Pours those blue pills straight down the... The, the sink. The sink. <laughs> yep. If he were in the Matrix, he would be an ancient martial arts master dispensing 
Wisdom. Mm. Like Seraph? Like Seraph, yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, Seraph. The great character. The great Seraph. character, Seraph. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I apologize. For what? Nobody writes dialogue like Larry and I love it. I love it. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. If you like goofy sci-fi movies, then you might get a kick out of this one. I obviously got a kick out of this one. So, although not walking out of the theater, Jake was more excited about this one than I was. I It took me a little while to think about it. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, that movie was pretty fun, actually. Despite its obvious bad things. Eh, honestly, folks, it's a 60 out of 90 squids. The guys had it just right. It was, you know, it's okay. It's, it's a lot of fun. But it's not a masterpiece or anything. Until next time, folks. I still know Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs>